Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast The Brief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melitzis. I'm here with Carrie Aliveld. And today we are going to be talking about the Iowa Republican caucuses. Last week, we didn't think there was going to be a lot of uh, surprises. And Carrie, I actually think there was more drama and more to talk about than I expected last week. Look at uh, that hot take. Hot take. Yeah, so just to, just to remind everybody, last week we had decided Trump was going to win fairly easily. Maybe there was going to be a bit of a battle for second place. But the storyline was sort of set. And I think we were, Carrie, remind me, and I may be misremembering, but I think we were looking ahead more towards towards uh, New Hampshire, which looks more competitive, and into South Carolina to see if Nikki Haley was going to make a run for it. We just thought Ron DeSantis was dead in the water. I think things are a little more complicated coming out of, of Iowa. So just to set the stage, the Iowa caucuses yesterday, 14% of Republicans, I think, turned out. The caucuses yeah, was, are not very... Low. They had like... Blizzards, like it was blizzard stuff. Yeah, blizzard it was pretty bad. Stuff. It was bad. So about fourteen percent of Republicans turned out, and in in a typical caucus, I think it's about thirty percent. It's not a very representative um, mechanism. And Donald Trump got fifty one percent of the of the vote. Ron DeSantis got what was it twenty one percent, and Nikki Haley got nineteen percent. Vivek trailed with 7%, and some guy from Texas nobody ever heard of got a couple hundred votes. It was pretty funny. Uh, more than Asa Hutchinson, which was weirdly still in the race. And if you don't oh, know who that goodness. is, it's okay. You don't need to know who Asa Hutchinson is. Sayonara, Ada. Good luck. <laughs> and um, so so the big takeaway was in, in the media, the headlines were Donald Trump wins in a landslide because it was 51. He won by 30 points over Ron DeSantis. And, Dominates! You know, Dominator. The dominator. That's 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 the math. Um, just objectively, that's the math. Fifty-one, twenty-one, nineteen. But I think it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it, Carrie? I, I absolutely think so. I mean, look, there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of different ways that you can slice this. I mean, first of all, some people were saying, "Well, gee, when it's normally a thirty percent turnout at a caucus at an Iowa caucus, and this was fourteen percent." What does that say about enthusiasm, right? But I, it's hard to know because it was they. It was truly. It wasn't just cold. It was truly really bad weather. So it's hard to know for sure. But and caucus goers are, are also elderly, which makes yeah. it even more treacherous for them to go out in that kind of that kind of uh, conditions. Right. You know, Trump winning with fifty one percent to me really signals a weakness for a candidate who's a virtual incumbent, right? It's not like people don't know him. It's not like some people are like, you know, I didn't get a chance to see that Trump guy. I wonder what he's like. I mean, you know, that's not that's not what happened. Right. They had a a real campaign there. He did not do like the full Grassley where you Chuck Grassley where you go to all ninety all ninety nine counties or whatever it is. He um, instead he did large scale events where they took names for people who could be potential precinct captains. It was very organized in that sense. Um, so he had a little bit of a different approach, but he was definitely there. Um, not in the same way that sort of Ron DeSantis was hitting all the, all the precincts or whatever it is you're supposed to do. I can't remember. I think it's 99. You're supposed to go to every County. I think that's yeah. the idea. So, but for him to only pull 51% as an incumbent, who is known by everyone. That means that like roughly half of Iowa uh, Republican caucus goers chose someone else. Right. Um, and that is 
to me meaningful. It's meaningful that he's running as a as a incumbent as the virtual like the the presumptive nominee and 49% of GOP caucus voters vote against you. So that was my that was kind of my top line takeaway from that. Um I'm sure Marcos you has uh, have other things to say. I want to let you jump in too. So <clears throat> I mean, absolutely. When you when you can't win half of your own cult, <laughs> I mean, the Republican Party has been taken over by the MAGA cult, and when you can't win half of your own cultists, there's some, something fundamentally wrong with your campaign. And I, I suspect we're going to see more and more of this sort of emerge in the coming in the coming weeks. Now, to, to me, the better best way to sort of illustrate this is just to think what would happen if Joe Biden had gotten 50% of a primary vote anywhere. I remember earlier on when uh, RFK um, Jr. first joined the Democratic race. He's since dropped out. He's an independent. <clears throat> but there was a bit of um, there was a bunch of polling that came out, and there was a little bit of an RFK Jr. boomlet. And the polling was about, like, it was 70% Biden and 12% RFK. And the media pundits were like, ooh, Joe Biden's in trouble because he it's a divided party. It was like in the 70s. I mean, it was it was kind of a joke. And we laughed it off because it was stupid at the time. Could you imagine Joe Biden polling at 50 percent in any poll, um, getting that kind of numbers in any primary at this point? That's what this means. If you don't have that kind of support in a primary, that's a warning sign. LBJ, he dropped out after a showing that wasn't as bad as this one. Uh, we saw Jimmy Carter struggle um, to get, he, he won decisively primaries against uh, Teddy uh, Ted Kennedy back in 19, what was it, 1980. It was still a precursor to dark problems with, with, with the campaign. So generally speaking, if you're an incumbent and you're not coming in at 80, 90%, there's always a fringe. Right? Exactly, yeah. Fringe is the fringe. But if you're not getting 80, 90%, you're in trouble. Yeah. And, and, you know, here was a, here was another comparison that I saw made by, uh, Dan Pfeiffer, who's former White House communications director for, um, Obama. Um, but he said, look, in, in 19, in, uh, sorry, in 2020, Trump won 92% of Republican voters. So, and Joe Biden won 94% of Democratic voters. But the point is, is like, if you win 92% of your voters in 2020, but then go to Iowa and only win 50% of them, then that's that's like an erosion. I mean, you know, the, the, I will say, I mean, narratives matter and this media narrative that he won in a landslide that he, you know, which is like, you know, a 30 point win is a landslide. But is it dominant? No. Okay. It's not dominant. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I just think that this media, the media is really overplaying this in a way that is incongruous with what a weak showing it is for a guy who's supposed to just be sewing up the, you know, sewing it all up without any trouble whatsoever. And we can say more, you know, there was, look, the other thing is to remember is that the Iowa poll 
um, came out, right? And it had uh, some numbers in it that were pretty interested, interesting. First of all, let's just say, so Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Actually, actually were, before. Yeah, sorry. I, I think I know where you're going with that. And if, if we could hold that thought, I just want to um, stick with Trump a little bit longer. And then we'll sort of shift into the Haley and that in those poll numbers, because that's that's really critical stuff. Um, the. We got to remember it was a very <laughs> the Republican field. Trump's opponents are not exactly the Republican A team. <laughs> so it's, we're not even talking. He's up against stiff competition. So he won. Yeah, by technically he won in a landslide by thirty points. But I don't think that's the equation. I don't think that's the math. I think it was Trump versus not Trump. And in that yeah. case, it was a very very close race. Now. In the interest of just an outside opinion, Dave Weigel, who has been all, he was at the Washington Post for a while, and he's, I don't know where he's at these days. Now it's Semaphore, I think. Semaphore, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he tweeted this, and it's an interesting thought. So he he writes, uh, quote, my problem with the yes, but 49% of Iowans wanted a Trump alternative take is that the alternatives are aligned with Trump. Look at it this way. MAGA, Trump, 51%. Reformed MAGA, DeSantis, 21%. Orthodox MAGA, Vivek, 8%. Republican Classic, which would be Nikki Haley, 19%. So um, to that, Republican, it's actually- Republican Classic, as in he's he's painting Haley there, just for our listeners, as sort of an establishment-type Republican, which is, a, I think, a fair, which is a fair- uh, assessment of what she's run at. Yeah. So, so. I, I think he's right that most of the Republican Party now is MAGA. Absolutely, for <laughs> sure. But again, Trump didn't nail down his own cult. I mean, that yeah. to me is absolutely bizarre because none of these names, with minor exceptions here and there, really went after Donald Trump. They had their little debates without Trump and they went after each other. But really, Trump, without really being attacked or targeted directly, I didn't see any major ad campaigns that were from Republicans targeting Trump. And yet he was only get 50 percent. So um, it's an interesting thought. I'm not quite sure. But I, I do that Republican classic at 19 percent. Uh, Nikki Haley, I think this leads into what you were going to say, right? Well, right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a few things that I I, I have a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot to say, uh, but if you want to just keep it to the caucuses, sure. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, no, okay. Haley's nineteen percent, I think, is very meaningful, right? These are people who I de- who are definitely anti-Trump. Some of some section of them are probably pro-democracy as well, and so I think it's really important because it is the slice of the electorate that. Um, Joe Biden, uh, Joe Biden's campaign and Democrats can go after, right? These are people who really don't want Trump. And I have to say, so this Iowa poll came out in advance, right? It's Ann Seltzer's Iowa poll. It's kind of, she's like the, she's the Iowa guru. She's usually right. She's usually got her finger on the pulse. And in that and, and uh, poll, just yeah. context, probably the most accurate pollster in the entire country. And it yep. helps that she only does Iowa, so she yep. knows the state inside out. And Iowa is like mostly white old people, so it's easier to pull. But her expertise and her ability to really nail Iowa is right. unprecedented by any other pollster in any other state. So right. 
So let me just thank you for that. So let me just say this, because I listened, I not only read that poll, but I listened to her be interviewed on several different outlets about the poll. Okay. So I am a bona fide expert here. And <laughs> the I. <laughs> Not true, but whatever. It's close enough. Um, so, <laughs> so you're making it so well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I almost had them. So the pre-Iowa poll, right? The pre pre-caucus Iowa poll found that Trump was going to win. That Haley was in second at twenty percent, and that Ron DeSantis was in third at sixteen percent. Okay, but what Ann Seltzer said about that was. If you had looked at her underlying numbers, Haley's, you would have thought she was in third place and in third place by a lot. There was very little enthusiasm for her, right? So even though people were saying, yeah, she's my pick, like she's the person that you just decide not to go out for on the blizzard night because who gives a crap, right? Like, yeah, I'm going to vote. I'm going to try and stick it to Trump and give the anti-Trump vote and like do, you know, go Haley. But, but like, do I care that much? It turned out they did care that much. Now I know Ann Seltzer was off a little bit on DeSantis, DeSantis, who she had, I'm sure it was within the margin of error, but he had put him at 16%, right? He outperformed that. But Haley, actually, given what Ann Seltzer was sort of implying, which was she thought that Haley looked like her underlying fundamentals in terms of enthusiasm and approval and all that stuff, she was really underperforming. Haley performed pretty good given the underlying fundamentals. And what that means is I think her anti-Trump pro-democracy voters, despite the fact that they did not, they were not super enthusiastic about Haley, they showed up, right? They showed up because they wanted to make a statement about this. And I, and let me just give you a, a qualitative example of one of these uh, voters and what they had to say. So for instance, um, this guy, Ryan Knapp, he was a 34 year old independent. And he said that he said he was not quote unquote, not very enthusiastic in the poll about voting for Haley, but he was a Haley supporter nonetheless. And here's what he said, quote, mainly picking Haley because she seems like the only sane one. And I'm down to doing anything to make sure that Trump doesn't ever get another opportunity again. Okay, that's what he said. And I think the fact that she kind of, you know, Haley, I mean, uh, Ann Seltzer was sort of trying to tamp down expectations on Haley finishing second because she felt like she was actually polling much weaker, you know, than than it looked. But that those people who were just like that Ryan Knapp dude, they showed up. And I think there's something worthy about noting that that anti-Trump um you know, that even if they weren't highly enthusiastic, they were very enthusiastic about casting a vote against Trump. Um, and they did show up. There's more to that, though. In that same Seltzer poll, 43% of Nikki Haley supporters said that they would support Joe Biden over Donald Trump. So everything that you say tracks that Nikki Haley supporters were Republicans who are pro-democracy. We're down to 19%, Carrie. 19% of Republicans are pro-democracy at this point. And they're pro-democracy. They're pro-not batshit insane. They are willing, half of them are willing to vote for, for Joe Biden over Trump. And I would, I would suspect that a big chunk of them 
are just not going to even vote. Like, I mean, they may not, they may not cross that ferry or vote for a Democrat, but a lot of them may, may stay home. And even if that number overstates by, by half, I mean, if, if a quarter of Nikki Haley supporters of Republicans, what that represents, would vote for Joe Biden or stay home uh, instead of voting for Donald Trump, uh, out of 19 percent, a quarter of that is what, four to five percent, four to five percent, Carrie, it's a landslide Biden election. Huge. Right. And let's remind people that basically what we're talking about here, if this turns out as people suspect, and I still expect even I expect Haley I, I kind of think she's going to do really well in New Hampshire and might make a race of this at least until Super Tuesday. I still think that he's the presumptive nominee, right? But hopefully he 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 limps into being the presumptive presumptive nominee rather than looking like he's invincible, right? That's what we want, along with some decent messaging from Haley, which which I can get to in a second. But let me just say this. Let's remind people that what we're talking about here in a potential Trump-Biden rematch is that probably both people, both of them, their floor is like 46%, right? And then it's a question, you're, you're just, you're clawing at each other for the, for what's left over, um, in terms of, right? And so the, the, the remaining 8% is what you're fighting over. Um, and, and, so that we're, we're talking about something that's going to be won and lost very much on the margins. So if you've got a, if you can, as, as uh, you know, the back of the napkin math that, um, that Marcos just did, you can win four to 5% of Republican voters and not just have them vote third party or not just have them stay home. I mean, granted, both of those things are better than voting for Trump. But some of those we actually want to convert and need to convert to Biden voters because some otherwise Biden voters are going to vote third party, too, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we need to win. We need to convert some people. Hopefully some some people will say I'm not voting for St- Trump. I'm staying staying home. But hopefully some people will say democracy is important enough to me that even though Biden is not my candidate, not the candidate I wish I could <clears throat> vote for. He's the only candidate that it makes sense to vote for to save this democracy. And so these margins that we're talking about, they're not like super sexy, but they're incredibly important. And they are where the uh, election will be decided. So really quickly, Ron DeSantis, what's your thought on Ron DeSantis? I think he's toast. I mean, I know people are like, well, he may. I mean, first of all, if you listen to people on the campaign trail and, you know, who people who were covering this and whatever, he just got a whiff of death about him. Like, <laughs> you know, like one of his, one of his, <laughs> yeah, what the old whiff of death. One, one, of the, one of his, uh, one of his like key people was quoted anonymously as saying, we're just trying to keep him, keep the patient comfortable until the end. Right. So like, <laughs> It's so bad, right? Now, in New Hampshire in particular, he's screwed. He hasn't for the past month since December 15th hasn't polled above single digits. He's been polling for the past month in every poll that's on 538's um, site, right? The aggregate. He's been polling at five, four, five, six percent, right? That is. That's deadly. Like I, you can't, you can't cut, get a second place finish. I don't care whether you know whether you mildly beat expectations or didn't. You can't, you can't recover from that in New Hampshire. Um, and so, and so, I think what we're talking about is 
what happens to the polling where um, she was definitely, you know, Haley's definitely on the ascent. She was polling in the low 30s in some of the most recent, like University of New Hampshire polls um, and St. Anselm. Am I pronouncing that right? St. Anselm uh, uh, polling. So she was polling like in the like right around 30, you know, 29, 30, 31, 32. Now, that was before Christy drops out. Christy was taking around 10 percent of the vote. You have to believe that the vast majority, if not all of Christie's vote, whatever it really was, goes to Haley because anyone who's supporting Chris Christie is not voting for Donald Trump. They just are not. Um, So then you got Vivek and he suspended his campaign. He dropped out his 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 uh, chunk, which was smaller than Christie's chunk, probably half of Christie's chunk, uh, roughly speaking, in New Hampshire. That goes to Trump. Right. So we've got to we've got to get some some quality polls to see where things have shaken out. But basically, I I just want to say, you know, Haley's kind of in spitting spitting distance and New Hampshire likes to be the anti Iowa. Now, that is true when there's not an incumbent running. Okay. In this situation, it's hard for us to know. It's pretty ahistoric. We've basically got an incumbent running um, in Trump. And uh, and so, you know, it's hard to know, but they but New Hampshire has a chance here to weigh in and do something really notable. And those voters like to do it. They you know, their whole thing is Iowa picks corn and we pick presidents. Right. <laughs> so that that's what they that's their saying. Right. So if they are if there's enough Grand State voters who don't who don't, you know, want to see. Uh, you know, Donald Trump just walk away with this. They could disrupt um, by either putting Haley super close to him in second or even having an upset there. So the big question in, in New Hampshire, uh, it, actually, before we get to New Hampshire, I just want to mention that Vivek, uh, who just dropped out, um, he ran the most woke, woke, woke um, bashing campaign of all of them. His whole thing was based on the dangers of wokeness. His uh, final tweet before the caucuses were about, you know, bashing on transgender people, saying there's only two genders and they're assigned at birth. And and um, <laughs> Republicans still don't kind of understand that this message does not get them anything. It does not motivate, definitely no general election audience, but even in a primary, it's not particularly compelling. Um, and I'm not sure, I, I hope they get the message eventually because it's disgusting and ugly and um, hurtful. But uh, it's always nice to see that when that message falls flat on its face. I just want to yeah. take a moment and savor that. Yeah, uh, totally. But um, Republicans in New Hampshire have been the libertarian type. That's sort of been their, you know, live free or die mentality. And that's been their motto and their ethos and their vibe. And so I don't quite know where... Trump has infiltrated because Trump obviously in the DeSantis approach to Republicanism is totally different. It's government controls everything. It's, it's an authoritarian form of, of, uh, ideology, which theoretically should repel New Hampshire libertarians. Now, I don't know because Trump has corrupted the party in so many different ways in so many different places that maybe that's a thing of the past. But I will say that John Sununu, who is the, 
governor, the Republican governor of New Hampshire, is not a mega Republican. In fact, he's he's pretty. You know, obviously the 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 scale has shifted because of Donald Trump, but he, he is moderate-ish in that scale. He's not a mouth breather. He's 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 um, not a firebrand. In fact, I think he's 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 feuded with Trump in the past. So. I am really, really curious if New Hampshire still is that old New Hampshire, which the old New Hampshire never would have elected Donald Trump uh, or given him a, a majority. Because I think you're right. This is down to a two-person race already. The old New Hampshire Republican also, Party would – yeah, go ahead. Haley said as much. In her speech, she said – Iowa made this a two-person. She said, Iowa's mm-hmm. made this a new two-person race tonight. Now, you know, some people are like, but you <clears throat> finished in third. Listen, you know, Bill Bill Clinton in New Hampshire in uh, was the comeback kid as the number two. And if you don't remember that he was number two and you heard he was the comeback kid in New Hampshire, you would think he finished number one. So it wasn't a bad tactic. She's also said, just just so people know, She's not going to debate anymore with Ron DeSantis. So if if Trump isn't showing up to the debate, she's not going to debate either. And I think this is smart. She doesn't need Ron DeSantis, not New Hampshire. DeSantis, I mean, New Hampshire is where she's going to, you know, is going to make or break her run. And she doesn't need to be debating, you know, 5% Ron Ron DeSantis there. So anyway. So we're down to the last few minutes. I'm curious then, how do you see, what is the path to... Nikki Haley making an actual run of this. I mean, obviously she has to win New Hampshire. Like, uh, or she, I think she, yeah. In the, in the, in the one or two points, yeah. So she could, I think she could come really close. This is, I'm just like, this is me and some vibes, right? Okay, so, and, and some polling too. I mean, it's not a total guess, but like, I think she could make a go into Super Tuesday if she came in a really close second. But for in order for her to make a real race of it, and she has to upset Trump in New Hampshire, right? Um, and and the thing she has to do is win New Hampshire and make him look. She has to spin the narrative enough to where people are like, "Whoa, Trump's weaker than I thought." That's the that's the narrative that needs to take hold. Is whoa, Trump's weaker than I thought because she cannot afford to lose to him in South Carolina, which is her own state. And you know, there's there's gonna be the very Trumpy state too. A very Trumpy state, but you know, she she I mean, if Trump looks weak and people are like, wait a second, I do remember, you know, I don't think any of these cases matter much, but they might. I mean, like, you just have to, I mean, I don't think she's going to win, but she has to, but in order to make a race of it, she has to win New Hampshire. She she cannot lose, I think, South Carolina, or at least not by a lot. And here's what I, here's the only thing. So in case people don't know, she was governor of North Carolina, uh, South Carolina. South Carolina, yeah, South Carolina. She's been elected there statewide twice already. Twice, right? She knows that state. Um, so the only thing that, uh, you know, if you, if you wonder why she can't say that racism was causing the, uh, was the cause of the civil war, I'll tell you why. She was governor of South Carolina. Like she knows, I lived in South Carolina for eight years. She knows what it means to say that there, right? It would be the death knell of her campaign, you know, so she was trying to like avoid having to say that. I know, I know. 
I, I know I, I'm not defending it. I'm just telling you that that's why, because I lived there for eight years and found out that the civil war was actually the war of Northern aggression. It and wasn't it, that it was, long ago that they still had the Confederate flag and the state flag. Right. So and, and very current history, not as, recent current history. As a Midwestern girl from Michigan, I was very surprised to find out that the civil war was a top of conversation at least twice weekly. Okay. <laughs> that was in the nineties. <laughs> So anyway, I just want to say this. I know. I I know. I just want to say this. We, Nikki Haley is so far from perfect, right? She is not going to fight all the battles against Trump that Democrats want her to fight, that, that are totally worthy to be fought, that he should be fought on, that he's a sexual assaulter, right? That he's a fascist, right? That he wants to put people in camps, that he wants to shred the Constitution, all of these things. There are many, many, he's racist. He's drumming up racist, you know, white supremacist ideology. He's stealing from, um, you know, the Nazi playbook, all of these things, right? We cannot expect her to say all of those things. She's not going to. But if she can hang around long enough, she can carry a message to some Republican voters who are willing to listen to her, and they are the people who just might decide they're pissed off enough about Trump that they vote for Biden. And here's what she said with all of her faults at the last debate about Donald Trump on January 6th. And I'm going to quote her. Donald Trump basically said the last election was stolen. He went on and on talking about the election being stolen. And he said January 6th was a beautiful day. I think January 6th was a terrible day. Then she went on. She said that election, Trump lost it. Biden won that election. And the idea that he's gone and carried this out, carried this out forever to the point that he's going to continue to say these things to scare the American people is wrong. Okay. So she's so far from perfect. No, she's nowhere near getting my vote. Nobody needs to argue that. Yeah. But, but I'm just saying we want someone to try to make a race of this who could say these things to an audience that might just be reminded and open enough about how skeevy Trump is that they decide to do something about it and vote Biden, right? So anyway, that's yeah. my take for why I think her staying in for as long as humanly possible is is good, is a pro-democracy exercise worth having. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just finish with one Final related thought is that the longer she drags this out, the more unhinged Trump will get. He's not doing well. If you're watching him on the campaign trail, he's stumbling. He's walking like he's literally walking weird. Um, he, he He's always said nonsense, but it, it just accelerates that. So the pressure of the trials, I think four or five trials at the same time, and the feeling that a woman of color is somehow challenging him is is gonna he may snap i mean or he may <laughs> he may have some health issues in the in the months ahead um given his poor current state so there is there is a lot of um it introduces a wild card factor that uh that um isn't the case if he wraps this up quickly then he can just go to his trials he doesn't need the campaign it's not like people don't know who he is uh, and, uh, and he just uses the trials to fundraise and, uh, in, like, as usual, be center stage in the media landscape. So we do, we hope for sure that Nikki Haley makes a real run of it. And the more she can make the case that I can be a Republican and I am pro-democracy 
And people go like, yeah, okay, that's that's a thing, being a pro-democracy Republican. And that may mean that we don't support Trump when he is the nominee this fall. That is a very, very real dynamic. And uh, that's that, that was, to me, the shock result of the Ann Seltzer poll, is that, that those people exist. I mean, we, we've theorized about it, but the right. fact that they do exist, that they will say that. Mm-hmm. Um, In Iowa. It? In Iowa. Yeah, these yeah, were these likely, are- she polled likely Iowa Republican caucus goers. And these yeah. are, this is a very conservative state. So to find 11% of them willing to say that in a Seltzer poll, that they would vote for Biden um, if if it's a Trump-Biden rematch. Huge, 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 huge. So that is our show for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thanks to Carrie. Always so much fun. Uh, Thanks to Walter, who produces the show. Thanks to Perry and Paul, who help out behind the scenes. And thanks you, the reader, viewer, listener, uh, fellow activists doing the work we need to do to save our democracy because it is on the line. We've been saying that the last few cycles, but it's true. Until we really finally drive a stake into the heart of MAGA, Trumpism in MAGA, uh, we need to fight for our democracy. And it'll be nice to have an argument about whether rich people should have tax cuts as opposed to whether we should have a democracy and a and a police state under under Trump. But that is the reality we face. So we need all of you to fight so hard this year. Leave nothing on the table. I know it's January. We got 10 months of this still, but we need all of you in this fight for our democracy. So thank you so much for joining us and being part of that movement. And we'll catch you next week.